the earth age. You know, we have young earthers and we have old earthers. Uh, food and drink. Uh, gifts of the Holy Spirit. These are all items of which the Bible doesn't speak definitively. There's room for interpretation, which means there's room for mercy and grace and humility. I remember a, a dinner uh, where a bunch of families were at this dinner and two Christian brothers, literally all evening, they debated uh, eschatology, their, their different views of the end times. And uh, I don't even remember if they took time to eat. Uh, neither could convince the other of their view, but they were loving and respectful of one another. They weren't arguing, they weren't fighting. These two guys totally agreed on the essential doctrines, but they disagreed on a non-essential doctrine like the, the end time. So the next time I saw one of those guys, I said, wow, you guys are really going at it that night. Uh, you, you must, it must have been a great discussion. And he, and he, he laughed and he said, yeah, you know, we, we've debated that many times before. And sometimes we get a bit animated, but we really help to sharpen each other, he said. So it was a pretty humble response. But what if he had said something like this? You know, well, you know, I've been thinking about that for a while, and, and he really doesn't know what he's talking about. I went to seminary. I studied this stuff. How can an idiot like him be a leader in our church? You know, if he had said something like that, there would have been a, a problem. That would have been speaking evil against a brother. Not only that, speaking evil against a leader in the church. It doesn't matter the circumstances. Even if the other guy was wrong, that kind of talk has no place in the heart of a Christian or, or the heart of the church. It's unloving and prideful. I mean, there is a way to go about that in a loving, respectful way. It's the opposite of what Paul says in Colossians 4, 6, where he says, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So with this, this morning's passage, again, uh, chapter 4, verses 11 through 12, James sort of wraps up this large section on, on taming the tongue. So I'll read the two verses and then pray. He says, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks, e speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Lord, again, we thank you for your word, and we pray that you uh, help us to understand. Lord, uh, help us to be humble and receive it, and um, help us, Lord, if we uh, struggle uh, with um, any kind of uh, evil speaking, slander or gossip or anything of that nature, Lord, we pray that you help us with that. I know I'm guilty of that myself at times, and I, I pray that you forgive us and to help us, 
Lord, as, as we seek to be more like Jesus. Lord, we thank you, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, in this passage, James uh, tells us what not to do. Don't speak evil against one another. Don't judge one another. He explains why you're actually speaking evil against the law. You're actually judging the law. Therefore, you're actually judging God. And finally, James asks the question, essentially, he's saying, who do you think you are? So that, that's how I'm going to treat this passage in, in those six sections. So, so point number one, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. Uh, so once again, the context here is the church. Uh, James is writing to the church because he, he calls his readers brothers. And, and of course, that would include sisters. But it would be silly to conclude that what James has to say applied only to the church. It, it doesn't apply only to the church, even though that's the context. In other words, what James has to say applies to all people and all, relationship, and all relationships. So it has a wide application. Uh, most Bible versions use the term speak evil against one another, but, but some use the term slander. I bring this up because slander has a narrower definition that doesn't really do justice to what James is saying, especially the way we define slander. We would define slander as the action or crime of making a false spoken statement damaging to a person's reputation. So that's a limited definition because James would include even true statements about someone uh, that would still fall into the speak evil category. In other words, it, it's possible to speak evil against someone whether what you're saying is true or false. So the Bible has uh, plenty of examples uh, of uh, speaking evil against someone could be complaining about authority or challenging the decisions of leaders. Numbers 21.5 says, And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. So in the wilderness, the, the, the people spoke against God. They questioned his authority. They questioned his decisions. They even questioned God's character. And they, they were punished for it. They, had to, um, they weren't allowed to see the, uh, the promised land. Now, God had just rescued the people from 400 years of slavery, miraculously parted the Red Sea so that they could escape. He destroyed the Egyptian army, and here they are complaining that God couldn't provide them a, a tasty afternoon snack for them. And... Um, they spoke evil against God. Also in Psalm 101.5, God says this, I will not tolerate people who slander their neighbors. I will not endure conceit and pride. So this kind of evil speaking describes behind the back slander or gossip, which it says God will not tolerate. 
again, I, I remember uh, years ago at work, I complained to one coworker about another coworker. And the next thing you know, it, the coworker that I complained about came up to me and said, I hear you have a problem with me. So I was like, oh, okay, what do I do now? So I, I, was, a for, I was forced to address it right there. So a whole bunch of things happened right there. First of all, I should have gone directly to that person, right? Obviously, I should have gone directly to that person and not complained about him, gossiped or slandered him uh, behind his back. Secondly, I gave that first person I talked to an opportunity to fall into that temptation of speaking behind my back. Uh, so he, I, I gave him a, an opportunity to sin. And thirdly, even though that coworker wasn't a Christian, he handled, he's the one who handled it in a biblical way. He came up to me directly and, and, and confronted me. So I, I learned a big lesson there. Um, point number two, after giving the command, do not speak evil against one another, James introduces the issue of judging. I don't know if you noticed, but judging is mentioned six times in just these two verses. So when, when James mentions the one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother, he's saying they're the same thing. It's the same activity. They're, they're two sides of the same coin. Uh, earlier when I said murmuring, grumbling, gossip, slander, or evil speaking, I was, basically I meant those, those are all the same thing. They're all evil speaking. So, so James is saying that when you speak against someone, you're also judging them or standing in judgment over them. You're, you're claiming superiority over that person. Uh, the point here is that to speak badly of another Christian is to stand in judgment over them. And the Lord has forbidden people from judging others in that way. The, uh, the familiar uh, passage from Matthew 7, uh, Jesus addresses this issue. He says, Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye. Now, clearly Jesus is not forbidding making all judgments or all evaluations. What Jesus forbids is judging without humility or, or judging with a prideful attitude where you view yourself as superior to others. So there's a difference between making a careful judgment and having a judgmental spirit. Uh, there's a difference between thinking critically and being critical. Uh, you could say that the issue isn't whether you judge, but it's how you judge and why. Why you judge. Paul speaks to this in Romans 14, where, where he, he speaks against Christians judging one another about the foods that they eat and, and honoring certain holy days. Uh, first, he rebukes his readers, he says, why do you pass judgment on your brother? Why do you despise your brother? Notice that he connects the two. Judging your brother is despising your brother. 
for we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. But then he encourages his readers. Uh, verse 17, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink, but of living a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. If you serve Christ with this attitude, you will please God and others will approve of you too. So then, let us aim for harmony in the church and try to build each other up. So obviously building each other up is the exact opposite of judging others and having a superior attitude over them. Uh, points number three and four, where verse 11 continues. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law, that's point three, and judges the law, point four. So if, if speaking evil against someone is judging that person, how is it that it's also speaking against and judging the law? How, is it, how does that work? So remember, for James, the law isn't necessarily the Mosaic law or, or the law that was handed down to Moses on Mount Sinai uh, by God. Instead, the law for James is, is referring to the commands, love God and love your neighbor, as Jesus described in, in uh, Mark chapter 12, for instance, uh, where James is emphasizing love your neighbor. Back in uh, chapter 2, verse 8, James called the command to love your neighbor the royal law. And, and then James said in verse uh, 12, he said, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law, by the, by the royal law. So those, those who, who choose to ignore the commandment to love their neighbor and chooses instead to slander or speak evil against their neighbor are actually speaking against and judging the law, the royal law, the love your neighbor law. In other words, if, if we apply what I said earlier about judging your neighbor, the person who slanders a brother is essentially stating that the law is false. It's worthless, and it can be ignored. The person is sitting in judgment over the law. And then James says, but if you judge the, but if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law but a judge. So this, this circles back to what James has said previously about being doers of the word and not hearers only. But it's worse because by speaking evil against someone, not only are you not doers of the word, you are judging the word. And by extension, James says, by judging the word, you are judging God himself. Those pretty strong words. So how do, you, how do you get that from the text? Let's look back at what James says in verse 12. He says, there is only one lawgiver and judge. And that's point number five. There's only one lawgiver and judge. 
James has just stated at the end of verse 11, but if you judge the law by speaking evil against a brother, essentially stating that the law is false, worthless, and can be ignored, if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. And James is saying, you, you better be careful because there is only one lawgiver. There is only one judge, and it's God. In other words, when Christians speak evil against others, they make themselves judges over the law. Since there's only one lawgiver, God, if you sit in judgment over his law, you're sitting in judgment over God. So you can see how that works. Now, as we know, there's a, there's a close connection between God and his word, obviously. An example would be the familiar uh, Hebrews 4 passage, Hebrews 4, 12 through 13. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul, of spirit, of joints, and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him, God, to whom we must give account. So just as to come under the judgment of God's word is to come under the judgment of God himself, in the same way, to stand in judgment over God's word is to stand in judgment over God. It's not a good place to be in. The beginning of uh, verse 12 is actually a combined reference with Isaiah 33:22 and Matthew 10:28, where Isaiah says, "For the Lord is our judge, the Lord is our lawgiver, the Lord is our king." and he will save us. And then the Matthew reference, 10.28, where Jesus says, Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him, God, who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So what James is saying here is that God is God. God is God. He, he's the ultimate lawgiver. He's the ultimate judge. And, and that only God has the power to save and the power to destroy in an ultimate sense. So James, James is giving a warning not to trifle with God's law, which in, in the context of this passage is loving your neighbor. Don't trifle with that law of loving your neighbor. In Deuteronomy 32:39, the Lord says, See now that I, even I, am he, and there is no God beside me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal, and there is none that can deliver out of my hand. That's God. Finally, James asks, but who are you to judge your neighbor? That's point number six. Who are you to judge your neighbor? Or to put it another way, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are to stand in judgment over God's law and therefore God himself? Who do you think you are to make light of 
or to not take seriously God's law. So we all know the sixth commandment, right? The sixth commandment, Exodus 20, 13, you shall not murder. It's simple enough. And I assume most of us have obeyed that. Uh, we have not stood in judgment over that, uh, thinking that it doesn't apply to us. We also know that Jesus expanded on the sixth commandment in Matthew 5, where he said, you have heard it said, you have heard that it was said of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the fire, to the hell of fire. So Jesus is saying a few things here. One is that this commandment was in full force before Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the, the tablets containing the Ten Commandments. That's why he says it was said of those of old. All right, so this, this, um, this commandment has been in force since Adam and Eve. And that's because the basis of this commandment, the basis of this prohibition is the fact that men and women have been created in the image of God. Of course, we get that from Genesis uh, chapter 1. Men and women have been created in the image of God. Also, Jesus here in Matthew gets at the source of murder, which is anger. Uh, John, uh, I was reminded, John, 1 John 3.15, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. Wow. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. Anger by itself is a violation of the law and was, was the original intent of this, this murder prohibition in the Old Testament. So when we're inappropriately angry with people, we attempt to take their identity and value as God's creatures away from them, which is the ultimate form, um, and the ultimate form of which is the physical act of murder. So again, when, when we're inappropriately angry with people, we attempt to take their identity and value which God has assigned them, created in his image. We, we, we attempt to take that away, which is in the ultimate form of which is the physical act of murder. So, for example, in a very real sense, blatant racism is equal to murder. When you hate another person because of their ethnicity or the color of their skin, you're attempting to take away their identity and value as, as one of God's creatures created in his image. And when you try to take away someone's identity and value, you may as well try to take away their life. It's the same thing. The righteousness expected of God's people is not only in avoiding murder, but in eliminating anger and evil speaking from our relationships. So to emphasize this, I'd like to highlight a section of the Heidelberg Catechism. 
The Heidelberg Catechism is a statement of faith that provides instruction in Reformed doctrine and theology. And this instruction comes in the form of 129 questions and answers. It's really, really cool. If you ever get a chance to check out, there's other catechisms out there too. There's more modern ones. But they have a question and then answers and then a whole bunch of scripture references. So question 105 is this. What is God's will for you in the sixth commandment? Answer. I am not to belittle, hate, insult, or kill my neighbor. Not by my thoughts, my words, my look, or gesture. And certainly not by actual deeds. And I am not to be party to this in others. Rather, I am to put away all desire for revenge. I am not to harm or recklessly endanger myself either. Prevention of murder is also why government is armed with the sword. Question 106. Does this commandment refer only to murder? Answer. By forbidding murder, God teaches us that he hates the root of murder. Envy, hatred, anger, vindictiveness. In God's sight, all of these are disguised forms of murder. And then finally, question 107. Is it enough then that we do not murder our neighbor in any such way? The answer is no. It's not enough. By condemning envy, hatred, and anger, God wants us to love our neighbors as ourselves, to be patient, peace-loving, gentle, merciful, and friendly toward them, to protect them from harm as much as we can, and to do good even to our enemies. Even to our enemies. So I, I guess the question for us is, who do you and I think that we are? Who do you and I think that we are? Do you, do you have a harsh, unkind, critical spirit that continually finds fault with others? Do you struggle with gossip? Or do you seek to love your neighbors as yourselves? Uh, do you seek to be patient, peace-loving, gentle, merciful, friendly toward them? to protect them from harm as much as you can, and to do good even to your enemies. Friends, God loved us even though we were guilty of disobeying his law. We were guilty of judging the law. We were guilty of judging God himself. But God still loves us even as his enemies. Remember what Adam said to God after Adam ate the fruit of the tree? God asked Adam, Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Adam answered, The woman whom you gave to be with me, the woman whom you gave to be with me, he said to God, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. So Adam blamed Eve. He blamed God. He judged God's law and he judged God. He judged that God's law didn't apply to him and therefore God's authority didn't apply to him. But God still loved him. God still loved him. God disciplined Adam. 
But God loved him and cared for him, gave him a purpose. We call it work. And God promised that one day all things would be made new again. Even our, our broken relationship with God would be restored. And, and of course, our broken relationship with God has indeed been restored by God himself in and through Jesus Christ who died on the cross, taking our punishment on himself that those who believe in his name might be saved. Amen? I'm going to close with um, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Praise God for that.